God is good. All right. How many of you ready to receive some revelation? Tracy, is anybody else? I mean, I could keep it real short if there's only one. No? No? Okay. We're ready to go. Just making sure. Um, I'm looking. Oh, there it is. Okay. So today I wanted to talk about something um, different, um, but in the same vein of, you know, when you have a message in your heart, it's kind of there always. Uh, But today I wanted to talk about the recipe for patience. (laughs) Who wants to leave now? Who wants to leave now? Gretchen, do you want to tell us about this now? Lynn's like, let's stay. She needs to hear this now. Well, it's kind of about patience, but it's a little different than what you think. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to talk about the recipe for patience. Uh, But there's this common thread that, that is throughout scriptures that connect our attitude, our attitude being how we perceive and how we respond with our circumstances. Like when you look at uh, um, either Jesus or, you know, or other scriptures, even in the Old Testament, it, it, it connects our circumstances with our attitude. And so um, I just want to give you a few examples. John 13, 33. All right. Whoever's back there is ahead of the game. Uh, these things I have spoken to you. Now, the context of these things, they're not very exciting things to hear what Jesus was just saying. That they would be scattered. But these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Wow. You will, you know, we have these promise books. How many of you have a promise book or a promise saying on your thing? Do you know what, that you will have tribulation is a promise? How many of you have that up on your wall? No. Okay, I didn't think so. So you don't have it up on your wall, but he's saying you would have tribulation, but what does he say after it? But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Romans 8, 37. Yet in all these things, all these things being tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So in both examples, our attitude toward our circumstances is a reflection of the way we perceive Christ. Our attitude is a reflection of not just happy thinking. Our attitude is not just a reflection of positive speech. Our attitude is actually a reflection of how we see Christ. Are you guys getting this? I'm not saying it's wrong to say positive things. I'm not saying it's wrong to have faith statements. I think we should. But we must perceive Christ correctly. You will have tribulation, be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Why can we have good cheer? Because we perceive him as an overcomer. So our perception of Christ is the thread that aligns 
a right attitude towards our circumstances. Why is this important? How we interpret our trials, our struggles, our circumstances will directly affect how we interact with them. Which ultimately affects the journey and the outcome. So when we perceive Christ correctly, as we perceive him as an overcomer, as we perceive him as one who loves us, we will interact with our circumstances in the right way. So if we see him as an overcomer, we'll be of good cheer in the midst of tribulation because he has overcome the world. If we believe that we are loved by him, then our attitude in all things and all circumstances will be one of a conqueror. This, this is a, I love this verse, but James 1, 2 through 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But patience here can also be translated as endurance, steadfastness, constancy, which is faithfulness, dependability, loyalty, and fidelity. And fidelity is a word that I've talked about before, but fidelity means the same as or equal to the original. So how does that apply to us? What does it create? What's the original? Christ. Christ is the original. So when it says, uh, knowing that the testing of your faith produces fidelity, meaning this is the transformation process into looking like Christ. So when we count it all joy, we are entering into the transformation process of becoming like Christ. Hebrews 12, 2. So we're commanded to count it all joy, right? And Christ is our example, correct? So Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy, for who? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what did Jesus do? He counted it all joy. Right? Isn't that what it says? It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And in James it says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Joy in Greek, so let's, let's understand what type of joy this is. But it says, count it all joy. Joy in the Greek means gladness, the cause or occasion for joy. Okay? It also means joy. Okay? And the word joy means the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. So you're thinking, when, I am, when I'm confronted with a trial, I'm supposed to have a, a, good motion, a good emotion of success or good fortune. But it also means this, the emotion evoked by the prospect of possessing what one desires. That sounds like Jesus, right? Jesus suffered the cross. Why? Because the joy set before him. So joy means the emotion evoked by the prospect of possessing what one desires. How does this relate to us? 
Count it all joy. What is the prize at the end of the trial? See, a lot of times we think, oh, the trial, and we're in the midst of it. But when it says count it all joy, he's saying, look past the circumstance and see what I want to do. Are you guys following this? So it's not like, yeah, we're in a trial, you know. It's saying, look past and count it joy because you see the prize. What was Jesus's prize? It was us. It was right relationship with us. In the Amplified, it says, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross. So here's an important question. Why would I have joy when I'm faced with various trials? It's a good question, right? How many of you love trials? Any of you? No? They're like, man, I didn't have a trial this week. Man, it's off schedule. It's about every three months, right, David? It just hits, right? So why would I have joy when I'm faced with various trials? Jesus, our example, was able to see the prize beyond the cross. We, like Christ, are able to see the prize beyond our circumstance. So joy, I want you guys to get this. Joy is the ability to rightly discern your circumstances. How many of you know that there's discerning of spirits? Right? Joy is the ability to discern your circumstances. That's good. So let's get prophetic when we are encountered with trials and tap into joy. Because joy actually helps us rightly discern the circumstance. How does it do that? By it reveals what the prize is at the end. So more specifically, joy as an expression of the fruit of the Spirit helps us interpret our circumstances through the lens of Christ. Remember, our perception of Christ is the thread that aligns a right attitude towards our circumstances. Joy has the power to release a prophetic ability to see the prize beyond your circumstances. Joy not only makes it possible to rightly discern my circumstance, but now I'm able to show an expression of joy in the midst of circumstances. So when we, are, when we encounter a negative circumstance, guess what? The expression of joy generally isn't there, right? But when we see the prize, what do we have a reason for? The expression of joy. So I really want you to think next time you're in a situation, say, Lord, reveal to me what the prize is at the end of this. And then when he shows you what happened, you get a little excited. You're like, I didn't see that before. I saw death and destruction. <laughs> Depending how big it is, right? <laughs> Show me the prize. So what is the prize? What does joy reveal on the other side of a circumstance? First, I believe that there are specific uh, 
prize or a specific prize for each individual set of circumstances, meaning each individual circumstance can return a positive reward that is specific to that circumstance. What do I mean by that? If you have a broken relationship, what is the prize? A healed and restored relationship. So a lot of times when we encounter a struggle or we encounter a negative circumstance, sometimes the revelation will be the restored relationship. Does that make sense? Or let's say you have a financial crisis. The joy or seeing it, prophetically seeing, is abundance of wealth. So like I said before, the prize after the trial can be specific to the circumstance. But secondly, I believe that there is a common reward for those that walk by faith. So it's not just a specific reward. It's if you walk by faith or when you walk by faith, there's going to be a reward for you. So James 1, 2 through 3. My brethren, count it all joy. Remember, counting all joy is seeing beyond the circumstance. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. What's the common reward? Patience. Now, what, and I'm going to get into it. I'm, I feel like I'm jumping ahead to other points, but... Uh, Patience is not the ability to wait a really long time. Think of it this way. Let's say you step out of the boat and you're like, whoa, I'm out here. And God shows up. What does that do? When I step out again and it doesn't happen right away, what is established within me? Patience. But more importantly, actually trust, right? So I'll get into that later. So the testing of our faith produces a faithfulness that endures no matter how great the circumstance. What makes patience possible? And I kind of just said it over there. What makes patience possible? Trust. The more I trust someone, the more I'm willing to wait. Because I know it is coming. So trust is a firm knowing that God will keep his word. That no matter what we face, we have a strong foundation that God will work all things for the good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. When you really think about that verse, it's kind of emphasizing the negative things. Because how many of you know this verse wouldn't make much sense if it says all good things work for the good of those Right? Well, yeah, all good things work for the good. But he's saying all things, right? All things. The things that we don't necessarily like work for the good. That the testing of our faith produces patience, which is really a revealed form of trust. The testing of your faith not only cultivates within you the character to endure, but also a heart that will trust in any circumstance. 
Faith that is actualized. What do I mean by that? How many of you have ever stepped out in faith and God showed up? That is faith actualized. Do you need to have faith for that thing anymore? Why? Because it's already happened. So when faith has a testimony, trust is developed. And when trust is developed, you will endure. So if we want to be people that finish strong, we have to be willing to step out in faith because stepping out in faith is what produces trust. Every test we face is an opportunity for us to connect to the Father's heart. When our faith produces, trust is established. So I'm going to say that again. Well, let's all say it together. When our faith produces, trust is established. So when you have a testimony, there's going to be very few things that will shake you off from what you believe because your faith has been actualized. Like, could you imagine someone uh, knocking on Grammy's door and, uh, and here to preach to Grammy and trying to convert her? I don't think that's going to happen. The only person that's going to get converted is, well, you know. <laughs> Why? Because she has years upon years of testing of faith and God coming through and God showing himself. The word faith in the New Testament can also be translated to trustfulness, which means full of trust or the ability to trust. James 1, 2, 3. Okay, 1, 2 through 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, knowing that the development of your trust produces patience. When our faith is tested, trust is developed. When our faith produces, trust is established. Can I say that again? When our faith is tested, trust is developed, meaning it's a process. But when faith produces, when it becomes a testimony, trust is established, meaning it's a foundation for you now. I'm going to say that again because it's really good. Okay, I know you guys are kind of processing it, but when our faith is tested, when we go through these trials, trust is being developed within us. But when our faith produces, when it is actualized, when we have a testimony from it, trust is actually established in our heart. Meaning we will not be shaken because trust has been established. So a lifestyle of faith produces a heart or an attitude of trust, which empowers us for endurance. Patience is not just the ability to wait. It's the confidence, it's the confidence to remain steadfast. Why? Because we trust. It takes faith to build trust. Psalms 37, 5. Commit thy way unto the Lord, Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. 
A more literal translation is, and he is doing it. If we see it that way, it's kind of demonstrating confidence, right? It shall, he is actually doing it. He's working on our behalf, even if we don't realize it. So there's two things required of us in this verse. First is the act of committing, which is stepping out of faith, out on faith. And second is the attitude of trust. Now, I talked on this before, but I think human nature is, has this in reverse. Natasha tells me to come here. And I say, can I trust you? No, come here, come here. here." We want to trust before we commit. But in the kingdom, he wants you to commit, and then you'll trust. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) He wants you to commit, and trust is built. I love how it says, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. Oh, yeah, after you commit, you know, trust is going to come. Why? Because he's good. Why is trust built? Because he's good to us. And he leads us to good places. And if we're led through a valley, we're going through the valley. Victory is dependent upon our interpretation of the battle. Say it again. Victory is dependent upon our interpretation of the battle. Romans 8, 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So when we're going out to the battle, what should our mentality be? He loves me. What, what, what was the worship team leading with Jehoshaphat? Do you guys remember it? What is it? It's love endures forever. Let's go to battle. It's love endures forever. <laughs> I saw this interview with the Secretary of Defense. His name is Jim Mathis. I think his nickname is Mad Dog, I think. And uh, remember what I said, victory is dependent upon our interpretation of the battle. So this interviewer was asking him, what keeps you up at night? What makes, he's really saying, what makes you afraid? What concerns you about this battle with ISIS? You know, uh, what keeps you up at night? And without a pause, he answered, nothing. I keep other people up at night. That is the best response. You know, when I, when I saw that, I thought, that is the person that I want protecting me. <laughs> Nothing. I keep other people up at night. But what is our attitude towards our battles? Not another battle again. <laughs> tired of these battles. Maybe our attitude should be Nothing. I keep him up at night. I keep the enemy up at night. So what perspective or perception should we have as believers? Perspective 
means the relationship of aspects of a subject to each other and to a whole. Anybody know what that means? Yeah. So basically, it's the view from where you're standing. Okay? So your perspective, your perspective is, let's say, you're out in the valley and you're out in a field. You're able to say, this is what I see, right? But the same area up on the mountain, you're going to see it totally different. But you're looking at the same place, right? But let's say you're up in a plane and you're looking at the same area, right? It's the same place, right? But you see it differently because your perspective, where you're standing is different. Does this make sense? So the truth is people can see the same thing and view it differently based on their perspective. This is why people can argue about things they agree on. At the end of it, you're like, we agree, but I see it from here and you see it from there, but both are true, right? I wish we could just get to that a little sooner before the heated conversation, but you're seeing the same thing. It's just from a different view. You're like, this problem is huge, and it's right in front of you. And God's up in heaven and saying, I, it's just a little, little thing. Or someone who's been through it says, you know what? It's not as big as you make it out to be. Why? Because your perspective. Does this make sense? So how does our perspective relate to our circumstances? Remember, I'm talking about how we view our circumstances 2 Corinthians 5.21, but God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What is right standing or what is righteousness? I just gave you the answer. (laughs) What is righteousness? It's right standing. Okay. So where's your, where should your perspective be when you look at your circumstances? From righteousness, because that is your right standing. Are you guys following this? So when we view our circumstances, we must see it through our righteousness we have in Christ Jesus. But it's also important that we have an understanding of our true identity in Christ. I mean, you've heard sermons on this a hundred times, right? So when you know your identity, when you know your right standing according to your identity and your true identity, you will interpret your circumstances differently because why? It's where you're standing. If you see yourself as incompetent and a failure, you will look at your circumstances very differently than standing in front of it and saying, I'm a child of God. I know who I am. I know what I'm called to. How are you going to see that circumstance? Very differently. Why is that? Because you're standing at a different place. Does this make sense? Good. All right. So if you want to change what you see, you have to change where you're standing. Okay, but this is where it gets fun. Perception. Perception is the recognition and the interpretation of something based primarily on memory. Oh. I just heard an oh snap in the spirit. (laughs) A mic drop. So guess what? It can be right in front of your face and you will not see it based on reality because you're viewing it through a past memory. 
I told you it got interesting. So someone will interpret a circumstance not based on a present reality, but rather on past memories. Uh, there's a funny story. Um, I, I know you guys know this, but I like the Kansas City Chiefs. All right. Yeah. It's, can you deal with that, please? Thank you. <laughs> All right. So Kansas City Chiefs, right? There's this football player, and he's one of the better football players on the team. He's a big football player, and he's terrified of horses. Basically, when he was a child, he was bit by a horse. And so whenever the Chiefs score, a woman that is dressed in Indian garb rides out on a horse and rides around. And they have, pitch, they have video of him like hiding behind other people to stay away from the horse. So they were, they, what they did is they had an intervention, and so they wanted to introduce the horse to this player. And I should have brought the video, but they're like, you can pet him. And he's like, this guy is a football player. And he's like terrified to touch this horse. So the present reality is highly likely that that horse will not bite him. But he's viewing this situation based on a memory. So what happens when we look at a present circumstance through a past memory of failure, of hurt, rejection? It doesn't matter what the reality is. You will only see it through the darkened lens. So if I spend all my emotional energy on, on my history of pain, rejection, fear, sin, I won't invest into the creation of a new future and a better history. When you, step out in, when you step out in faith with God, what happens? You create history with God, right? When that faith is, that becomes a testimony, when it becomes a testimony, what is that? That is a history in your mind. So when you go out to do another thing of faith, what comes up? The victory, the lion that you just killed, or the bear, or the giant that you just slayed. So if we're consumed by our past, we won't live by faith in our present. Say it again. If we're consumed by our past, we won't live by faith in the present. And what is the danger of that? Not creating history with God. So if we're not stepping out in faith, if our faith is not being tested, we're not building trust. I told you it got interesting. And trust is required for endurance, patience, consistency. So seeing your, cur your current circumstance through your past memories are quite powerful. Like we just talked a little bit about the negative, but what about the positive? 
When you create history with God, you will start seeing like he sees. When you step out in faith and you have a testimony, guess what? All these circumstances start looking like a defeated foe before you even get there because you just killed the last giant. Are you guys seeing this? One thing I want to say is I felt like, and I don't know if it's something I was feeling. I'm not necessarily saying it's in our churches, but something I've been feeling like spiritually. But I feel like people have gotten to a place where they don't want to step out in faith anymore. Where they're like, let's turn down the fire so there's no more sacrifice. But if you do that, you won't create history. Not just history in the natural, but history with God. And so we're just, we're becoming passive in our relationship rather than, how many of you have ever had a time in your life where you were just stepping out in faith all the time? It was just, and then it kind of died down. I, I really feel like now is the time to start it up again and to create that history. Because if we become passive, our mind will shift to a victim mentality. Because we're saying we don't have any power to change it. I love how uh, Jesus was talking about, I can't remember the situation, but he was talking to this father of a boy that I think was demon-possessed. And he's like, well, if you could do it. And Jesus is like, what? He's like, if you believe... Nothing is impossible. So he was waiting for Jesus to do it and says, hey, if you have faith, nothing is impossible. So do we realize that the testing of our faith produces a history with God? That every giant you slay is a testimony. That every full net of fish that you pull out of the sea is a memorial. That every wet sandal that you possess from stepping out of the boat is a history that's written on your heart. Don't let your fire go out. And when I say fire, it, it can be passion because passion means you're willing to suffer for it. But don't let sacrifice go out of your walk with the Lord because when you do, you're not gonna see him moving on your behalf. So if we want to perceive our circumstances accurately, we must connect our perspective or the place where you're standing and your perception or history with God. Those two must be connected. See, a lot of times people are saying, I know my identity and I speak my identity and I know who I am in Christ, but my mind is consumed with my past and... I look at my circumstances with failure. But if they're combined, I know who I am. I know who he is. I know what I have in him. And guess what? Last week, someone just got healed at Walmart. Next circumstance we face, we not only have our perspective, but we have a history. Does this make sense? All righty. Matthew 14, 28. 
Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. We see that Peter had the confidence and the faith to ask because of of his view of who Jesus was based on his perspective. He's been with him, right? He's been hanging out with him. He's like, if he's out in the water, it's probably safer for me out there than with my brothers. Matthew 14, 30 through 3. But when he saw the wind uh, was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. The word doubt can also be translated to waver, which means... I want you guys to get this. This is powerful. The act of intentionally relinquishing or abandoning a known right or claim or privilege. Wow. So what did Peter relinquish? A supernatural life through faith. Why did he do that? Because he was afraid. He had the faith to say, let me come out. And he's walking on the water, but he wavered. He actually relinquished his right, his privilege, because he was afraid. Peter had the faith to step out of the boat, but, but his patience, his steadfastness, his endurance, his trust had yet to be developed. This is why Peter wavered. His trust had not yet been established. How is trust established? When you continually step out in faith. If you, if you know the history, Peter had so much faith that it led him to his death. Would you say that his trust was established? He understood that He could trust him so much that he could go into the next life or into eternity with him. So Peter had the faith for it, but he wavered because it hadn't been established. A trust had not been established within him. Man, that's crazy. Wavering meaning relinquishing a right or privilege. Wow. Thank you, Father. This is why people have a consistency of calling. And what do I mean by that? Have you ever, like, look at Todd White. He's out there doing it all the time. He has a history with God in doing this. He has a trust developed, right? Like things that my mother does when she goes off to other countries and does, you know, parliaments and all that stuff. Guess what? She has a consistency of calling. She's been stepping out. I think she's been going to Nicaragua for 12 years. I don't know. It's a long time. So she has a history of stepping out in faith, prophesying to these high level people in the government, getting, well, I don't know if I can say, she's stepping out in faith but she has a history of it, right? Like some of us would be shaking in our boots. But she has a history and she has a consistency. So every time she steps out in faith, it establishes trust 
or it develops trust to a greater degree. Patience reveals a depth of the trust. So I'm going to really quickly go through the life of Abraham. Like, really quickly, I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to be, you know, a four-part series. <laughs> so Abraham was promised to be the father of many nations while he and his wife were naturally beyond the age of having children. What is that? A test of faith, right? Abraham stepped outside of patience, outside of promise, and outside of trust and tried to fulfill the promise on his own understanding. His own understanding was the wrong perspective. So uh, he tried to obtain the promise through Sarah's servant. It was not his idea. So just want to throw that out there, even though he, so he wasn't like, hey, Sarah, you know, like you got, no, she thought of it. All right. Eventually, the promise was fulfilled in the way that God had provided through Sarah, right? You guys know this. Uh, when Isaac, now I want you to get this. This is a sermon in itself, but I'm not going to preach it, but maybe for a later time. When Isaac was born, eventually the promise received by faith could not coexist with a promise attained through effort. So what does he do? You need to leave. He sends him away, right? So throughout this process, through the testing of Abraham's faith, trust and patience is being developed within Abraham. Genesis 22, 1 through 3. Now it came to pass... After these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He, he, then he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I love this next verse. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He rose early in the morning. Can you see a difference or this development of trust that he has with God now? So a man that was willing to keep out, a man that was willing to step outside of faith, step outside of trust, step outside of truth, now is a man that no matter the circumstance, he's willing to step into faith, step into trust, step into God's goodness. Abraham tested faith for Abraham's tested faith forever changed his perspective and perception of what it meant to trust and obey. Every step of faith is a step towards understanding God's goodness. It's impossible to understand the fullness of God's goodness without being rooted in obedience. I want to say that again. It's impossible to understand the fullness. I'm not saying that you cannot experience his goodness outside of obedience. I'm saying it's impossible to understand the fullness of God's goodness without being rooted in obedience. Genesis 22, 13. So Abraham's about ready to sacrifice his son. The angel stopped him, and then this is where it comes in. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. What is he doing? He's creating a memorial. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So obedience will lead us to a place that we would not have discovered unless we obeyed. 
Why do we discover the fullness of God's goodness? Because obedience will take us somewhere we don't want to go. And because we obey, we discover something that we would never have discovered before. So the revelation of God will provide was revealed by what? His willingness to sacrifice. So the Lord will provide his revelation of the goodness of God, which was only received through a willingness to obey. When we step out in faith, we create a history with God that establishes trust. So no matter the circumstance, we will know that he will be leading us into his goodness. Kind of wraps up this, this verse. All things work together for the good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So, let, so here's the three ingredients for a recipe for patience. First one, what's that? Okay. Joy is what helps us rightly discern our circumstances. So whenever we're faced with a situation where we feel like giving up, we need to tap into that prophetic anointing of joy to see past our circumstances and see the prize. Does this make sense? Joy is what helps us see the prize on the other side of the test. So that's the first ingredient. It's only a three-ingredient cake, okay? I don't know if that's possible. It's a no-bake cake, we'll say. Okay. Uh, the next ingredient is look from where you're standing in Christ. Our perspective, our Perception of Christ is the thread that aligns a right attitude towards our circumstance. So whenever we see a circumstance, we need to see how Christ sees it. Just like you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Meaning if we see him as an overcomer, we're going to have good cheer no matter the circumstance. And the last ingredient, say the last ingredient, is look, for, look from your history with God. Our perception of God is bolstered by our history with him. And the challenge for this is go back and remember. Because I believe all of us have a history with God. Go back and remember. Go back and remember what he's done. If something seems big or uh, impossible, go back and remember when this happened. Go back and remember when this happened. And the challenge for every one of us, including me, is look for opportunities to step out in faith. Actually, you guys already know them, you know, the ones that you've been like, ah, you know, when God starts talking, you're like, start singing, he loves me, you know, and you're like, I can't hear you. <laughs> like, I did that with the Lord this week, and I was like, what are you doing? He was like talking to me, and I was like, I really didn't want to hear it, and I, I just started singing. I was like, that is so bad. Like, I was really trying to ignore, ignore the Lord. I have repented, okay, so... I'm allowed to be up here. All right. So the challenge is step out in faith because when he shows up, you have a rock then. You have a foundation within you of trust. And when you have trust, guess what? You will finish strong. You will finish strong. Lord, we just come before you and we just thank you for this time. Lord, I just pray that the words that I spoke today pierced into the heart and Lord brought healing and brought restoration. And Lord, I just decree even as they think about the things that I spoke even this week, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit is 
continually uh, speaking to them and leading them into all righteousness and all goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.